Hello, 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 my amigos, and welcome back to this, the bonus part of today's FYI, where we're talking about psychology and some startling experiments. I wanted to use that word startling in there somewhere again today in the show. Let's uh, take a look at some of these experiments. Now, this next one kind of broke my heart in a way. It was, when I read it, I was just heartbroken, como decimos. And you'll see why. I think we can learn, as I said, the reason these experiments are important and I've decided to highlight them is because, A, they're interesting and they had something to do with progress and bettering the human experience from a psychological standpoint. And most importantly, hopefully, we've learned something from them. We've become better people because of them. So this one is called Harlow's Rhesus Monkey Experiments. And I guess he liked Pavlov's experiments, so monkey see, monkey do. <laughs> Did you guys get my really corny joke? Monkey see, monkey do. Lo que uno ve, uno quiere. No culo quiero, culo veo. Something like that you say in Spanish. Um, but it's like with kids. Like if I see Johnny has an apple, well, I want an apple now. Monkey see, monkey do. No, I was just joking. I wanted to test out a joke on you guys. Sorry, it bombed horribly. Hey, but at least I taught you a very popular idiom in English. Monkey see, monkey do. So what were these rhesus monkey experiments that Harlow, Harry Harlow, conducted? We can do an experiment or we can conduct an experiment. They demonstrated the powerful effects of love on normal development. Now, I didn't say human development because first they studied it in monkeys. And it showed the devastating effects of deprivation on young rhesus monkeys. What he aimed to show or what he ended up proving was the importance of love for healthy childhood development. Desarrollo sano de un niño. And like many experiments, they were often unethical and shockingly cruel, some would say. But they also uncovered fundamental truths that have influenced our understanding of child development, of how we were raised, of how we want to raise our children. Oh, and we're definitely going to do an episode on human experimentation. But I don't know if you guys are ready for that one yet. Or maybe I don't know if I'm ready for that yet. It might be a little bit too gory. But we'll take a look at that sometime down the road. Down the road is a poetic way to say más adelante. So why was this unethical or cruel? Well, in one version of the experiments, as you noticed, there are many experiments because you have to test and you have to use control groups and placebos. I mean, there's a whole process to doing an experiment, as they call it. I remember when, at least when I was growing up, the scientific process. So in one of these versions, uh, these infant monkeys were separated from their mothers immediately after birth. Now, right there, that breaks my heart right there. And then they were placed in an environment where they had access to either A, a wire monkey mother. So yeah, they made a monkey out of wire, alambre. Think about that. Cold, metal, ugh. And then they made one, a faux mother. Faux is another way to say fake. 
covered in a soft fabric, tela suave. Now, the wire mother provided food for these monkeys, but the mother made out of the soft cloth provided only softness and comfort, something that the monkey could not get from the wire monkey. But the wire monkey was the one with food, and, well, food, what's more basic than food? Well, it turns out, love. So what Harlow found is that while these infant monkeys would go to the wire mother for food, naturally, they had to survive, they vastly preferred the company of the soft and comforting cloth mother. So they would spend most of their time with the one that wasn't giving them the food because it was softer, because they could cuddle up to it. They could snuggle up, a word that we looked at on the podcast last week when we were with Suzanne talking about cats. I hope you guys enjoyed that episode, by the way. So it it blew my mind as well as broke my heart, but the study demonstrated that maternal bonds, that's a good word, bond, vinculo, Maternal bonds were much more than simply providing food or nourishment for their children. It was also about comfort and security and forming attachments or bonds, vinculos. So what's the bottom line? Give your kids attention. Give your kids love. They need it as much as they need food, if not more. Now, that does not mean don't give your children food. (laughs) Please don't misinterpret me and don't take any health advice from me anyway. Okay, the next one is the ash conformity experiments. Researchers have long been interested in when and how people follow social norms, las normas sociales. Why people follow them and why some people don't. Why some people rebel and they are rebels. The verb is to rebel. The person is a rebel. During the 1950s, psychologist Solomon Ash conducted a series of experiments which were designed to demonstrate the power of conformity when in a group. What the study revealed was that people are surprisingly susceptible. Toma. Otro double alliteration. Surprisingly susceptible to going along with the group. Now, to go along with someone is seguirle el rollo. Go along with me. Play along. Sígueme el juego. Sígueme el rollo. And people would go along with the group even when they knew the group was wrong as a whole. In Ash's studies, students were told that they were taking a vision test. You know, the typical vision test where you see the E's and one is sideways, de lado, one is upside down, boca abajo. And you have to say what letters you see or what direction it's facing. And they were told that they were taking just a normal vision test and they were asked to identify which of the three lines was the same length as the target line. And when they asked the participants alone, the students were highly accurate, accurate as preciso, in their assessments, sus valoraciones, assessments. Great vocabulary we're seeing this week. In other trials... Trial is una prueba. Planted participants, there's more double alliteration. Planted es que estaban metidos ahí. They were actors. They were in on it. Estaban en el ajo. And they intentionally picked the incorrect line. And as a result, many of the real participants gave the same answer as the erroneous ones, the wrong ones. 
And what it proved is how when people were with a group, they would rather be wrong than make any waves. Causar problemas. They just want to go with the flow. Fluir. I guess that one makes sense. But if I know I'm wrong, I, I, I don't know if I could... I don't know if I would conform. You got to ask yourself too, what would you do in these experiments? But remember, once you know you're an experiment, it changes the outcome, el desenlace. So that doesn't even really count either. All right, and the last one we're going to look at today, and as I said, we'll do another episode on human experimentation, but I got to prepare for that one. I've got a weak stomach. I get queasy very easy. Hey, wait, I'm a poet and I didn't even know it. I think you say, sin haberlo planificado, hecho un pareado, or something like that in Spanish. We say, I'm a poet, and I didn't even know it. All right, well, this one, I remember seeing a documentary. I don't know if it was on Amazon Prime or Netflix. I'm sure you guys can find it faster than I can. You got to remember, I'm in my 40s now, and uh, I'm, not, I'm not as good. I'm not as fast as I was when I was younger. <laughs> But perhaps it rings a bell. It's called the Stanford Prison Experiment. And this was an experiment which was conducted by Philip Zimbardo. He's a crazy-looking cat. Un tío bastante raro. No, un pájaro, you say. We say a cat. And what they did is they cast regular students in the roles of prisoners and prison guards. Stanford University students, and half of them were cast, dieron el papel, of prisoners, and the other half were guards. Now, the study was originally going to last two weeks, dos semanas, but they had to stop it. They had to put an end to it. They had to call it quits, say it however you want, after just six days, because the guards became so abusive to the prisoners, and the prisoners began to show signs of extreme anxiety and stress and they were just in bad shape, in mala forma. So they had to cut the study short for the well-being of everybody involved, especially the people who were playing prisoners. And the reason you'll probably be familiar with this as well is it was mentioned a lot, or it, it came up again in the media, this, uh, this experiment, the Stanford Prison Experiment, uh, when they reported the abuses in the Abu Ghraib jail and uh, they were saying wait we've seen this before we've seen this prisoner guard relationship played out and what it proved really is that group behavior remember in one of the other studies we looked at the difference between what you say when you're alone and what when you're a part of a group changes and well group behavior is heavily influenced by the power of the situation and the behavioral expectations that are placed on you so these guys were told to be nasty to the prisoners. They were told to mistreat them, and they thought they were just doing their job, and it got really disgusting. These were normal people who started treating these other non-criminals like garbage. Yes, they were doing what they were told, but they got so lost in the roles that they had to pull the plug. To pull the plug, como desenchufar, pues quitarle la, el enchufe, la energía, to end it. 
And there were many criticisms around this experiment, but the the general idea of the experiment is that these guards became excessively abusive. It was a, a natural response to their role. They're like, well, I'm a guard now. I have to beat these guys up. I got to be a jerk. And I was told I can do whatever I want. I have carte blanche. I think you say carta blanca, possibly. As I said, you can check out a documentary that tells you more in depth, and it even shows you different things, different um, footage from the the experiments. But I will say something. It's not for the faint of heart. I think not for the faint of heart is no apto para cardíacos. It's not for everybody. I have to admit, when I saw it, there were a couple of times when I wanted to turn off the TV because it was pretty upsetting. So out of all the experiments we looked at today, I think that was the most controversial. Now remember, we say the word polemic, but not as often as controversial. All right, so I said we were also going to take a look at some disorders, some common disorders. I believe you say trastornos. And remember, with every disorder, there are different levels. You have mild symptoms to more severe symptoms. Let's use a very common anxiety disorder as an example, a panic disorder right? A panic attack, as we would call it uh, in layman's terms, in palabras de cualquiera, no técnicos. If you have a mild anxiety disorder, well, that means it only happens every so often, not too often. And the peaks and the valleys aren't so high and low. But I believe, and again, I'm no expert here, I believe just like a wound that you have on your arm or your hand or your foot, if left untreated, it will not get better. It'll only get worse. It could even get infected. And I think that's the same for mental illnesses as well. Anxiety disorders. You see a lot of these more and more. People who have panic attacks. I've had a couple near panic attacks. I know many people who have had panic attacks and it's not pretty and it's becoming more and more common. I think we've taken on too much stress in our lives. Hemos asumido demasiado estrés. Another one we hear a lot about is OCD. I, I've been told I have mild OCD, para usarlo en contexto ligero, mild OCD. And I have to admit, I like things in their place. But I don't get all hysterical if things are not in their place. Well, maybe a little bit. <laughs> you know what? Ask my wife. <laughs> you want the real answer? Ask my wife. OCD, what is known as obsessive compulsive disorder. Remember, there are books full of these different disorders. And there are some things that were before they were considered disorders and now they're not. Like homosexuality used to be a disorder, according to the American Psychiatric Association. Uh, then you also have phobias, which are under the area or the umbrella of anxiety disorders. Let's say that word. I said it a few times. Anxiety. Anxiety. If you are suffering from padeces de anxiety, it means you are anxious, overly anxious. Then you have ADHD. Again, I'm going over just some of the common ones. Attention Deficit Hyperactive Disorder, ADHD. 
you have ADD, attention deficit disorder, and even hoarding. I forget what you call this one in Spanish, cyclogenesis or something? I know I just made that up. Well, hoarding is collecting things. A hoarder is somebody who doesn't throw things away. And all those can be put into anxiety disorders. Then you have uh, depression, bipolar disorder. You say bipolar, we say bipolar. And other mood disorders. We have uh, many disorders that deal with moods. Either we're in a good mood all the time, or in, well, that's not really a disorder, I guess. Uh, we're in a bad mood all the time, or uh, we're moody, right? We're never really in a good mood. Uh, also, there are people who suffer from mood swings, right? A mood swing. Piensa en un columpio. Like I said before, peaks and valleys. So you're happy, you're really, really happy, and then you're really, really sad. And then you're really, really happy, and then you're really, really sad. So mood swings. Uh, one that I'm familiar with, unfortunately, and I'm familiar with many of these, by the way. My mother is a healthcare professional. My mother works as a social worker, and she works with people with a lot of these different problems. And what she's told me from 30 years of experience plus is that usually people who have a disorder have a couple disorders. Disorders. It's not just as simple as, well, uh, anxiety disorder. Yeah, with a little bit of this and a little bit of this, which, remember, some things trigger other things. This is a great word to know. Now, trigger is the thing you pull on a gun, gatillo, but it's also desencadenar right? It's to provoke. And we talk about it a lot. We talk about things when we talk about psychology that trigger a response. We talked about it with Pavlov's dog. We said when they saw his assistant, and by the way, he was the guy who was feeding them, it would trigger a response. It would provoke a response in these dogs. Some of the most known eating disorders, going back to eating disorders, we've got anorexia nervosa. We've also got bulimia as well. Those are two that are, are probably uh, the most well-known uh, globally, unfortunately. Uh, then we've got personality disorders as well, like borderline personality disorder. Uh, I looked it up. Borderline is trastorno limite de la personalidad. So Makes sense because the borderline is a limite. Reminds me of a Madonna song. Keep pushing my love over the borderline, borderline. I think I sing to you guys in every episode, don't I? <laughs> we got to make a remix of all my songs. Uh, PTSD, there's one people uh, we've seen a lot too. This one after Viet the, the war in general, Vietnam War and many wars, uh, they used to call it shell shock. Right, shell de las uh, cascaras. Uh, no, cascara, I don't know how you say. The shell is a part of the bomb. Uh, they would say that um, when soldiers came back from war and went back home, that they suffered from shell shock. But now we have a different name, a real name, not a funny name. It's called PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. And I remember suffering from that. I'm, I'm opening up to you guys. To open up is sincerizar, you say? To open up. And I wanted to teach you another word while we're at it. I don't think, I think it's a good idea to open up. You know, not to everybody, to your friends, the people you trust. What I think is the worst thing you can do, and this is a great word, is bottle up to bottle up. And to bottle up is repress. Piénsalo, embotellar. If you bottle up your emotions, I, what's going to happen, guys? What, what happens when you bottle something up and then you shake it up? Is It explodes. So open up. Don't bottle it up. Toma. Double phrasal verbs there. So yeah, I, I suffered from post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD for short, uh, after September 11th when I witnessed, fui testigo de 
to planes hitting the World Trade Center and watching them fall in front of my face. Uh, buildings I had seen my whole life. Even now when I talk about it, there, there's some kind of change that happens in my body. A physiological change, not just a psychological change. So again, this is all linked the better our mental health is, the better our physical health will be. I firmly believe that. And again, I'm no expert, just trying to apply a little common sense. And uh, also we've got psychotic disorders too. And this is one that people have gotten a stigma. The good thing is now we don't call people loonies, lunaticos. We don't call people nut. You know, if somebody has a problem, they're sick and they need to get help. As if the same thing if they broke their knee or they twisted their arm, you can get help. There are people you can talk to, there are organizations, and there's medicine as well. And maybe a lot of times it's just a chemical imbalance and you just need a little help. When the psychiatrist prescribed Prozac to me, he described it like a stepladder. Como una escalerita que te ayuda un poquito subirte. And you got to do the rest. And that's where I discovered singing and dancing and, and running around. And all of a sudden I realized these things were my new Prozac. So yeah, in psychotic disorders, we, we look at schizophrenia as well. That must be horrible to, to suffer from schizophrenia. And remember, guys, the people suffering is not just the person with the disease, but the family members and everybody who in, comes in contact with that person is somehow affected by that mental illness. All right, and speaking of psychiatrists, I also taught you another way to say it, shrink. Uh, so what's the difference between a psychologist and a psychiatrist. Well, in a nutshell, in a nutshell is resumiendo. In a nutshell, psychiatrists prescribe medication. Psychologists can't. Can I get any simpler than that? <laughs> so, uh, well, I can give you a little more information. Maybe I won't simplify it that much. Uh, also, psychiatrists diagnose illness. Uh, they manage treatment and they provide a range of therapies for complex and serious mental illness. I'm reading this here, as you can see. And psychologists focus on providing psychotherapy, which is talking therapy to help patients. So as I said, my mother doesn't, my mother's a social worker, trabajadora social. She doesn't prescribe medicine. She talks to people. She listens to people. She helps them interpret their feelings and why they feel the way they do. I have to say, uh, I've always been very in awe, in awe, es en asombro, at how my mom can do her job. Because most people, think about this, guys, people who work as healthcare professionals, most people see a fire and they run. And firefighters, police officers, health professionals, they see fire and they go and try and put it out. I mean that in every sense of the word. So these kind of people, I think, sometimes are underappreciated, but we need them. They're such an important part of our society, helping people feel healthy and good about themselves and confident and feeling like they matter, como importan. Even if it's just to one person in one place, that's something. All right, well, before we get going, I just want to take a look at a couple idioms that came to mind. <laughs> mind, mente, okay, bad jokes. All right, well, uh, one that I, the first one that popped into my mind was make up your mind. Now, if you haven't heard this one, it's one we use all the time. Make up your mind is decidete, decidete. And one that comes from that is similar to that, which is weird because I didn't know this one. I learned this 
idiom when I started having British friends. So it's a very British one, and it's to be in two minds. If you're in two minds, you're indecisive. You can't make up your mind. So you can learn them together. I can't make up my mind. I'm in two minds. Another one I can think of is to be out of one's mind. I think you say estar pirao, loco. You're out of your mind. Now, we don't normally talk about someone who's suffering from mental illness as out of their mind. We usually talk about it when our boss, our friend, our cousin does something cheeky or says something cheeky, uh, descarado, and you say, what are you, out of your mind? Que estás loco? And another one which I hear a lot of people make a mistake with, and it's very, very common, you say in Spanish, cambié de opinión. We don't say I changed my opinion. Obviously, people would understand you if you said that, but it would be more common to say I changed my mind. Cambié mi mente. When I first moved to Spain, I said, ah, cambié mi mente. And people were like, what? Quería decir cambié de opinión. And the last one, I think, is one that you guys have seen time and time again. You see it a lot now. There are even memes going around the internet, and that is mind-blowing. Mind-blowing. If something is mind-blowing, it is just amazing. So, I hope this episode blew your mind and it was mind-blowing to you. That said, we've got to get going. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for the support. And we'll be back next week with another FYI.